0: Good morning, everybody. If you would, open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. We're going to begin at verse 22. We've been making our way through the Gospel of John here on Sunday mornings. And uh, I'm not going to complete chapter 6 this morning. We're going to take a look at the next part of it or the last part of it next week. But we're going to take a look beginning now at verse 22. And I will have a little more explanation along the way, but it's best if we just dive in right here. Verse 22, John chapter 6. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, the other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord Jesus had given thanks. When the people therefore came and saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. If you will, just sort of transport your mind to uh, Israel, Judea, the region of Galilee, some 2,000 years ago. And there you are with Jesus on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, and you have enjoyed this miraculous feast that we call the feeding of the 5,000. As I mentioned last week, it was actually more than 5,000 people. It says there were 5,000 men. So as far as women and children, we don't exactly know. But we'll call it the feeding of the 5,000. And in this occasion where Jesus miraculously fed more than 5,000 people with the loaves and fishes that were multiplied, you ate of that. And your stomach was filled. And you were so impressed by Jesus. Matter of fact, you saw the crowd that wanted to take Jesus and make him an earthly king. But Jesus refused. And you saw him put his disciples in a boat and send them across the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But you knew that Jesus didn't get into that boat. So when you woke up in the morning, you expected to see Jesus somewhere around on that side of the Sea of Galilee. But he wasn't there. You wondered where did Jesus go? I saw his disciples leave, but where did he go? And maybe there were murmurs or murmurings. He went out after Capernaum. And so you notice that there were a bunch of boats there on your side of the Sea of Galilee, by the way, blown over across the lake from the violent storm the night before. And you got a hold of some people that would let you get into their boat and you went over to the Capernaum to try to find Jesus. And there you were entering Capernaum. Now, two things you need to remember about this. First of all, You being one of that crowd of 5,000. Now, we don't think for a minute that all 5,000 came to Capernaum, but a good number of them did. We don't know exactly how many, but a good number of that crowd, they came to the city of Capernaum. Secondly, this is what we know. We know that Jewish leaders from Jerusalem came... To question and sort of interrogate Jesus at this very time. We know this from Matthew chapter 15 verse 1. Matthew chapter 15 tells us that then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus. And it's speaking about this exact time in Jesus' ministry. We also know something else at the end of John chapter 6. It's in verse 59. We'll cover it next week. We know that Jesus gave the long speech or discourse that we're going to read in John chapter 6. He gave it not only in Capernaum, but from the synagogue in Capernaum. Check this out. Right here at verse 25, we read, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Friends, right now at verse 25, we're not just in Capernaum, we're in a synagogue at Capernaum. Could you just mentally imagine yourself to be a synagogue where Jesus was preaching on that particular day? Now, if you've ever taken a tour to Israel, you probably went to Capernaum because it's a place where most tourists go. And if you went to Capernaum, you saw the synagogue. You saw the synagogue that's built at the exact same place, these ancient ruins, telling us where it was that Jesus would have preached this message and been with those people in the city of Capernaum on that particular Sabbath day. So there you are. If you were to imagine yourself right there in that synagogue, it would be much like this. There would be somebody who would be speaking, and Jesus would have been speaking that particular morning. They would have some psalms of worship. They would have some readings of scripture. They would have somebody to explain the scriptures. It would not be all that different from what we're doing right now this morning except for a few things one thing that would be different is all the men would be on one side and all the women would be on the other side maybe we should try that out some sunday just to see how it goes (laughs) no no no! isn't that interesting that that's how they did they would segregate the seating sometimes from one side to another side sometimes the women would sit up on the balcony and the men would be down whatever but they would segregate the seating But there you are, you're in the midst there of the synagogue in Capernaum, and you see Jesus up there, and what's your question for him? Look at there in verse 25, Rabbi, when did you come here? Friends, can I tell you something? Jesus never answers this question. I wish he would have. I wish he would have said there, when did I come here? I walked across the Sea of Galilee last night in the midst of the storm to get here. And then I got into the boat of my disciples. And miraculously the boat was transported the rest of the way. That's when and how I got here. He didn't say that though. Instead of answering their question. Jesus is going to respond to them and speak to them about what was really on their heart. Friends, I want you to understand something. Oftentimes, when we ask God a question. He may not answer our question but speak to something deeper behind the question in our heart. That's where we pick it up at verse 26. We read, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal upon him. Jesus says, you guys seek me. You wonder when I got here. You're following me halfway around the Sea of Galilee. You're seeking after me. Why? Because you want bread to put in your belly. Friends, they wanted the bread, but they wanted more than just the bread. They also wanted not just the Wonder bread that Jesus provided, miracle bread. They also wanted a miracle king who would lead them against the Romans. Jesus, you're the guy, you can meet our needs. You can meet the need for food that I have to fill my belly. You can meet the need we have to be free of the shackles of Roman impression. You can bring us miracle bread. You can bring us a miracle king. You are our miracle king. Set us free, Jesus. We're looking to you. That's why we followed you halfway across the lake. Jesus said, I know this about you. Friends, we need to talk about this because it's a very important thing that Jesus is addressing in the crowd. He's addressing their focus on their material needs. Materially, they needed food for their stomach, did they not? Materially, they wanted freedom from their Roman oppressors. We get that. But Jesus was trying to tell them that they had a more important need. And that need was spiritual. Spiritual. Friends, this is a very, very important thing for us to think about. They wanted a sign. They didn't want the things of the Spirit. They wanted miraculous bread. They wanted a miracle king. But they didn't want the things of the Spirit that Jesus brought to bring them. That's why he told them this. Look at here, verse 27. He says, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures for everlasting life. Jesus is making a contrast you can work. You can work for the food that perishes, or you can work for the food that brings everlasting life. And friends, with this principle that Jesus alludes to, it speaks to us about something very powerful and very important for our lives. They were working hard. They followed him halfway around the Sea of Galilee, but they did it all for the food which Parishes. They wanted to fill an empty stomach and find a king for an earthly kingdom. Jesus wanted them to labor for the food which endures for everlasting life. He's making a contrast between material things and spiritual things. It's funny, when I talk about this to our modern age, I almost feel Like I'm speaking to another language. Because in some ways, not in every way, but in some ways, I feel that the spirit of the age in which we live in, by and large, is almost completely insensitive to spiritual things. I don't think that makes us terribly unusual. That's the situation Jesus dealt with 2,000 years ago on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. But it's the same in our own age. Let me put it this way. Go out to the beach right on the other side of Cabrillo Boulevard today. Go out to the beach and set up two big tents or pavilions. Over one tent put this sign. Free money, free food. Okay? That's tent number one. Tent number two put up a sign over it that says this spiritual fulfillment and eternal life which tent's going to get a bigger crowd it's no mystery isn't it free money free food pretty good to me spiritual enlightenment eternal life yeah whatever now friends As I say these words, I feel very cautious about saying them because I don't want to give anybody the wrong impression this morning because there's sort of a a knife edge of a balance that we have to walk on with our own understanding. I don't want anybody here this morning to believe that God is not concerned with your material needs. Did not Jesus tell us to pray, give us this day our daily bread? God is concerned about your material needs. If you're uh, poor, he cares about your situation. If you're hungry, he wants to fill you. If you're sick, he cares about your, your, your situation. God cares about our material, physical needs, but he does not want us to live our life centered upon them. The same God who said, give us this day our daily bread, also said, man does not live by bread alone. Friends, isn't this true in our culture at large? That many of us, let me be pastorally direct, may I? Many of you, you live for bread alone. I'm not talking about a loaf of bread, even if it was gluten-free and multi-grain and all the rest of it. I'm talking about material things alone. That's what you live for. Now, if that's you, I don't have even a sentence of condemnation for you if you live your life mainly for material things. You know what I have for you? I have the most glorious invitation for you in the world. You have a world that you are totally insensitive to that is the most amazing thing that you'll ever live and experience in your life. There's a whole spiritual world for you to live in and experience and encounter. And this is what God wants you to live. You you, you need more life, not less. You need to live life in the things of the spirit, not just the material world. And this was Jesus's great invitation. He said, I'll read it again. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures for everlasting life. Friends, if you are living your life purely in a focus on material things and physical things around you, it's not enough. God made you for more than just that. And it's time for you to start living in it. You you work hard. You you, you try to do what you can to fill the pantry at home with food for your family to eat. To fill your bank account for the things that you need in your daily life. To take care of your body so you're healthy. That's all great. But don't ever let those things eclipse the greatness and the focus of the spiritual life. Because God made you to live for more than just bread alone. Now, Now where do we get this? Look at what he says at the end of verse 27. He says, which the son of man will give you. This is where we get what we need from God spiritually from the Son of Man, from Jesus himself. Now, this really struck the interest of the crowd. So look at how they reply in verse 28. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Okay, Jesus, we want to work the works of God. What shall we do? Jesus had already told them, do not labor for the food which perishes. But in reply, they had the same word for Jesus. They used the same word back. Okay, we're not to labor for the food with perishes. Then what work do we do? What labor should we do? It's as if they were saying this to Jesus. Okay, Jesus, tell us what to do. Just tell us what to do so we can get it. Whatever it is, you, you, we want the miracle bread. We want you to be our miracle king. How do we get it? And then Jesus shocks them with the reply to the question here in verse 29 where he says this. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Friends, do you want to do the work of God? Let me tell you where it begins. It begins with your relationship of love and trust in Jesus Christ. When Jesus said that you believe in him whom he sent, he didn't just talk about intellectual agreement that Jesus existed. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about to believe in, to trust in, to rely on, to cling to. That's the biblical sense of the word, to believe. I like to use the phrase, a loving trust. That's what God wants for you. Have you ever almost feel like shaking your fist at heaven? God, what do you want from me? He wants you to love him and trust him. Is that all you want from me? No, I want you to obey me as well. But the obedience needs to grow out of love and trust. God is not concerned only. Or if I could get a little dangerous, I'll step up to the edge of the stage and say this. God is not even concerned primarily with your obedience. Do you think that way? That that's what God really wants from you. He has a big list of rules and he's looking to say that he's basically Santa Claus. Checking to see who's naughty and nice. That's God's number one thing. He's checking the boxes and seeing if you check the boxes. Friends, no, no, no. What God primarily wants from you is your love and your trust. He wants you to believe upon Jesus Christ, the perfect representation of the Father. Those of us who are parents know a little bit of this dynamic. Because every parent wants their child to obey them. Can I have an amen? <laughs> every parent wants their child to obey them. It's just, part, it's just, it's just good. It's right. It's appropriate. It's appropriate. But parents, listen, don't you value the love and the trust of your children even more than you value their obedience? What if you had a child who said something like this? And this is just a hypothetical situation, of course, but a child who said something like this to you, father, mother, I will obey you the rest of my life. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I will obey you on every point, but I will never love you and I will never trust you. What parent would want that deal? You say, no, if there is to be obedience, I want it to come through love and trust. And that's what God wants you. What does God want from you? He wants you to love him. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to put your faith in him. This is the first work that God calls us to do. And listen, he addresses obedience after that, but don't ever miss it. The first work is to love and to trust him, to believe upon him. Now on to verse 30. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In my mind, verse 30, it's as if the crowd is responding this way to Jesus. Yeah, 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 you keep talking about bread of this, believing on him. Just tell us, what what do we do to get this bread from heaven? Show us a sign, Jesus. We just want to see it. What sign will you perform then? And then, even knowing how to quote scripture, they quote Psalm 105, verse 40, where it says, he gave them bread from heaven. You know, Jesus, aren't you going to give us manna again like Moses gave the children of Israel in the wilderness. Again, there was this messianic expectation in that day. The Bible doesn't say this, but the people expected it because it was what they were taught by the rabbis, that when the Messiah came to the world, he would reinstitute the giving of manna. And they say, okay, Jesus, bring it on. We want the food every day. Now again, friends, do you see that this crowd is so locked into the material that they cannot see the spiritual? They're so locked into the material that they have no sense for the spiritual. Whenever Jesus says bread, all they can think about is what they fill their physical belly with. But Jesus says, no, there's something more than that. Verse 32, he says this, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Jesus said, you want to know what work I'll do, what sign I'll perform? I'll tell you what work I'll do. I will give you the word of God and eternal life in me and through me. This is the spiritual food that you must feast upon or die. I'm talking to you about the things of the spirit, not about material things. And then he adds this in verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven... Friend is what he's trying to tell these people in the synagogue. And this is in the synagogue service that he's sharing all this. He's trying to explain to them, listen, just as much as a physical body needs food to survive, so your soul needs me, Jesus Christ, to survive. I am the bread from heaven. Now, can we just agree for a moment? And I keep calling my my own self to this throughout the gospel of John. What an audacious thing this is for Jesus to say. That's how necessary he is to every human life. But Jesus could say it because he was not only the Messiah. He is also the son of God and God the son. We must relate to him. And then he goes on now to their fourth request. They say in verse 34, notice this. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Friends, you see what they're saying? They're still responding to Jesus as if he were a bread factory on two legs. We want the bread and we want it all the time, Jesus. Fill our stomachs. And Jesus is trying to get across to them. I'll start again at verse 34. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me. That of all he has given me, I should lose nothing. But should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me. That everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Again, the people were obsessively focused on the material. Give us this bread always. And friends, I get that. When we have a material need It is so easy for us to focus on that and act like that's the only important thing in our life. It's entirely natural. When you're hungry, all you can think about is food. When the bank account is empty or worse and the negative, all you can think about is I need money. If you're sick, all you can think about is I need to get better. I get that and you get it. But even in the midst of such material difficulties, we still need to lift our vision above the material and put it upon the spiritual. And that's what Jesus was trying to do with them when he said this remarkable thing in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Again, lift up your eyes from material things and put them on spiritual realities. They needed to put their confidence in Jesus instead of upon merely material bread and material things. Now again, before I kind of break down what Jesus promised them in this great statement, I am the bread of life. At the risk of being too repetitive... Is your life connected to spiritual reality? Spiritual truth. I know that's an awkward thing to say in our present day and age. Because in our present day and age, there is not even the concept of spiritual reality. Spiritual things in our modern day and age are completely subjective. And they can be completely contradictory. But friends, it doesn't work that way in the natural world and it doesn't work that way in the spiritual world. There is a spiritual truth. There is a God who is really there. And the Bible tells us who this God is. And Jesus Christ has perfectly represented him to us. Therefore, we come to Jesus and we come to spiritual truth, to spiritual reality. And if you have not yet learned how to live your life in the flow of spiritual things, if you are completely immersed in the material and not in contact with the spiritual, you're missing out. You're missing out on the greatest things in life. You ever gone snorkeling someplace where there's, you know, fish and coral and all that stuff underneath? You get on the snorkel and you go and you look underneath and you go, I can't believe it. There's a whole nother world down here. I never knew it existed. I'm out on the beach and I just see the surface of the water. I have no idea for this amazing world that exists just under the surface. Friends, for some of you, that's what life in the Spirit is about. There's a whole beautiful world of the Spirit that exists just below the surface. And you don't know anything about it. And it's drawing you to come into it. Now, when Jesus used that figure of speech, I am the bread of life, he invited them to come to believe, and he also explained to them why he was perfectly worthy of their confidence. Why? Number one, because he can satisfy their spiritual hunger. Verse 35, he who comes to me shall never hunger. Jesus can satisfy our spiritual hunger. Then he says, you can come to me because I'll receive everybody who comes to me. Look at verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. There's nobody who's come to Jesus and been refused by him. Then Jesus says, you can come to me. Because I'm not interested in my own agenda. But only in the Father's will. I'm not out for myself. Verse 38, he says, I have come not to do my own will. But the will of him who sent me. And then Jesus says, it's safe for you to come to me. Why? Because... I will keep those who come to me safe. Verse 39, he says, of all he has given to me, I should lose nothing. There's safety in Jesus. And then finally, he says, there's a destiny for everybody who comes to me, and that's eternal life. That's what he says in verse 40. Everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. Friends, this is the invitation of God for you and for me. This whole realm of the Spirit that's open to us in Jesus Christ. Verse 41, the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which comes down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Friends, isn't this an entirely natural reaction of the people? Verse 42, they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? They say, how can he say he comes from heaven? We know he comes from Nazareth. Our kids played with him. And I will admit, this was a difficult thing for them to swallow. It was a difficult thing for them to say, this person who looks like just any other person we see doesn't have a halo behind his head. He doesn't speak in Darth Vader reverb. He doesn't walk two inches above the ground. He's God. But yet Jesus gave them both the wisdom and the truth and the signs to back it all up, and he would. Therefore, Jesus replies, verse 43. Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from God the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. You guys are having difficulty accepting all this? Well, let me tell you something. No one can come to to me except the Father draws him. No one, I'll just read it again, can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Friends, (laughs) Jesus is telling us that humanity is so fundamentally messed up that we cannot come to God unless he does a prior work in us unless he draws us unto himself, unless God does a prior work in us, forget it, you'll never come. But this was exciting. And this is what I love to talk about people, especially in regards to evangelism. When they sense God doing a work in them, it's an indication that God's telling them to come to Jesus. He's preparing them right at that moment to come to Jesus and to put their trust in him. And at the end of it all, or at least our section, he says, you can be confident in me Not that anyone, verse 46, has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. He says, I have seen God the Father in a way that none of you have. Friends, it's with half regret that we break it off right here. Next week, we're going to pick it up at verse 47 and go to the end of the chapter. Let me just say this. What you're going to see next week as Jesus finishes this message in the Capernaum Synagogue... Jesus is going to say things to a congregation that I would never dream of saying. And he is going to offend them so much. But ladies and gentlemen, it was true. And it is true. But I like how Jesus ended this little section that we're going to end with. Because of Jesus' unique connection of God, because he has a connection with God that none of us have, we can trust him. We can put our love and our faith and trust in him because he's the unique son of God. And we can come to him knowing that the Father has drawn us to come to him. And we can be grateful for every sign that God shows and we can live in the spirit. We can live for more than material things. And we can receive from him the bread of life, the bread of heaven. Father, would you help each of us to feast upon Jesus in this way? You are the bread of life, Jesus. You are the bread from heaven. And just as our soul needs sustenance, Lord. We look to you for that, Jesus. I pray, God, that um, we would find the ache we have for the eternal and the spiritual fulfilled perfectly in you, Jesus, and in no other place. Fill us with that, Lord. We want to receive it from you. God, more than anything, I pray for anyone here today, and perhaps there's several across this room, They're just not sensitive to the spiritual world. Lord, would you open the eyes of their understanding? Would you help them to understand what they have not understood before and receive the greatness of your spirit? Do it, Lord, among us now in Jesus' name. Amen.